If you would turn with me to Ephesians chapter 1 in your Bible, please. I love Paul's letter to the church at Ephesus. I know it's a favorite of many of God's people. And I think the reason that God's people love it so is that it's saturated with Christ. Saturated with Christ. And that's what we need. That's what we've got to have. That's what great sinners need. And that's the saturation with the preaching of a great Savior. And what a Savior He is. As Gene brought the study, I kept thinking to myself, what a Savior. What a Savior He's declaring. I remember years ago hearing a famous evangelist, I won't mention any names, preaching on television to an all-Jewish audience. And you know the Jews don't believe that Christ was the Messiah. And he never once mentioned the name of Christ. Not one time. Oh, he mentioned God, but he never mentioned Christ, who is God, by the way. And I can assure you that no one was saved that night. <laughs> and you may said, how do you know that, preacher? Because I know the means that God uses to save sinners. It's the preaching of Christ and Him crucified. How are sinners saved? Well, in the book of Acts chapter 16, verse 30, we have the story of the keeper of the prison where Paul and Silas was jailed and he asked this question. The Lord sent an earthquake. All the prison doors opened. All the prisoners could have escaped, which would have meant His life. He said he, he, he knew God was behind that. He didn't know much before that. But he asked this question. He said, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? Do you remember what Paul and Silas answered? They said, Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, and thou shalt be saved. Not believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and do this, and not believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and do that. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you shall be saved. No ifs, ands, and buts. No questions. You'll be saved. Believe on Christ. Listen carefully to what Paul wrote in Romans chapter 10, verse 13. He said, For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. You see, believing on the Lord Jesus Christ and calling upon His name, calling upon Him, it's the same thing. No sinner can be, a, be saved apart from believing and calling upon the Lord Jesus Christ. And as Gene said, and as I reiterate, this is a simple message. It's not a difficult message. Impossible to believe. Yes, brother, you're so right. Apart from God's divine revelation. And then there in Romans chapter 10, Paul asked three questions. I want you to listen to them carefully. He asked, how then shall they, speaking of lost sinners, are you a lost sinner? Listen. Call, how, can, how shall they call on Him in whom they've not believed? And how shall they believe in Him of whom they've not heard? 
And how shall they hear without a preacher? And how shall a preacher be sent except they be sent of God? Preaching Jesus Christ, well, that's the ordained means God uses to save them that believe. And if you restrain from mentioning His name or preaching Him, then you've missed. You've missed it. You've missed what preaching's all about. Jesus Christ is the constant theme throughout Scripture from the beginning to the end. He's Alpha and Omega. He's the beginning and the end. He's the first and the last. When man sinned in the garden, God spoke of the seed of the woman. That's the Lord Jesus Christ. When Adam and, 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 and Eve conceived and brought forth a son, two sons, Cain and Abel, Christ is seen in the sacrifice of Abel. And man's works is seen in the sacrifice of Cain. But that's speaking of Christ. He's that Lamb that Abel sacrificed. He's the Passover Lamb. I've heard men who call themselves Gospel preachers bring sermons on just about every subject there is. It's a popular thing today to stand and proclaim how to do things. How to live. How to do this. How to do that. But that's not preaching. That kind of preaching has never ever saved a soul. Can a baker make a loaf of bread without flour in it? He may call it bread, but it would not be. And it's the same with a man who preaches a Christless Gospel. He may call it the Gospel, but the Gospel it is not. Paul's harp had but one string. Paul's trumpet blew but one note. And it was the most beautiful melody ever heard. If I had sung a special this morning and sung one note all through it, you would have been, you'd have been tickled when it was over. But when we preached that one note of Christ and Him crucified... Nothing more beautiful. Nothing more beautiful. Now, in Ephesians 1 and verse 1, we see that Paul, right from the beginning of this letter to believers in Christ, they're called saints. They're called the faithful of Christ Jesus. That's what a believer is. These uh, letters, uh, these epistles, they weren't written to the world. They were written to God's chosen people. And Paul clearly sets forth the simplicity of the Gospel found in this one-note symphony of Jesus Christ and Him crucified. According to verse 2, all grace and peace from God our Father is from, it's in, and it's by, and it's through the Lord Jesus Christ. There is no grace. There is no peace apart from Him. And I tell you, that'll mean something to you if and when you understand that God is angry with the wicked every day. And if you're without Christ by nature, you are wicked. You and I have greatly offended God. Have you ever been offended? 
Was something said about you that wasn't true and you were offended? Or were you offended because it was true? How did it make you feel? Did it upset you? Were you angry? Was your integrity insulted? I sometimes wonder how it could be, that is our integrity, how it could be insulted when by nature we have no integrity. How can one have integrity when they hate their Maker and their Master without a cause? No reason for us to hate Him. No reason for us to not worship Him. And you know, I I think about this often. Sin is a little word, but it's not a little thing. Sins, plural, are what we do. Sin, singular, is what we are, as you very capably and, and well put. No soundness in us. None. Not by nature. From the sole of our feet even to the top of our head, there's just wounds and bruises and putrefying sores, rotting, decaying, rancid, and repulsive. That's what putrefying is. That's what God said. There's sores that haven't been closed or bound or mollified with ointment, with medicine. Our child falls and scrapes her knee and that, what do we do to it? We, we bind it up. We put a band-aid on it. We put neosporin on it. We, we doctor it up. And there's nothing that you can accuse me of. And if you're one of God's people, you'll say the same about yourself. There's nothing that you can accuse me of that I have not thought, done, or thought to do. I've offended a holy, just, righteous God who's perfect in every way. God gave man whom He created one law. Adam, you can partake of all the trees of the garden, but there's just one commandment that I'm giving you. Don't eat of this tree. That's my tree. It's reserved for me. And and Adam shook his fist at God. He said, I'm going to be my own God. And that's what man by nature's done ever since. And because of that, God is displeased. He's angry. He's annoyed and resentful. And that's hard to hear because all my life, the preacher told me that, well, Jesus loves everybody. Does he? That's not what this book says. Our Lord Jesus said so. His exact words were, they hated me without a cause. No reason for us to hate Him. He does all things well. Someone that does all things well, there's no cause or reason to hate them. No cause in our Lord to hate Him. And if you don't now, you once did. Every child of God will tell you that. And that is why grace and peace 
must be given to us. That is why grace and peace is ours. Paul wrote, it's from the Lord Jesus Christ. That's where it's found. That's the only place you'll get it. (laughs) This grace and peace is undeserved. It's unmerited. It was freely. You know what that word means? Without a cause. We hate Him without a cause, and yet He freely, without a cause, saved us by His grace. Isn't that amazing? Ain't that the greatest transaction that's ever occurred? Christ being made sin for me that I might be made the righteousness of God in Him freely without a cause. We should bless Him. Look at verse 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who hath blessed us with all spiritual blessings in heavenly places in Christ. Do you see that word blessed? It's used twice in this verse. Two similar but yet different Greek words. The first time it's used, it instructs us as to how a believing sinner looks to Christ. In the first sentence, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, that word blessed means adored. Adored be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. We shouldn't hate Him without a cause. We should adore Him. It means that we should deeply commit ourselves to Him without a cause. That cause being what He's done for us. A child of God doesn't strive to do good things in order to be saved. They do them because they are saved. They want to be a blessing to the one that they adore. The one who's blessed them. How's he blessed his people? Well, he's blessed them with all spiritual blessings, it says. How many? Some spiritual blessings? No. All spiritual blessings. Every one of them. He's blessed them with heavenly blessings. All, every good and perfect gift comes down from the Father of lights in whom no variableness or shadow of turning. They're heavenly blessings. They're spiritual blessings. And they come down from Him who loved us and gave Himself for us. The second time the word blessed is used, it means to invoke upon and prospered with spiritual blessings. That's what God's done for us, for His people. Where are these blessings found? It tells us in Christ. (laughs) You won't find them anywhere else. Why do we look anywhere else? They can only be found in Christ. What are these spiritual blessings? Well, Paul tells us in the following verses. In verse 3, we see that these spiritual heavenly blessings are according or because, that's what the word means, because He had chosen us in Christ before the foundation of the world. You see, if God chose me in Christ before the foundation of the world, then common sense tells me that I didn't have anything to do with it. What is the first spiritual blessing? God has chosen us 
that we should be holy and without blame before Him in love. Now listen, if that's something you think you can do on your own, if I believed in luck, I'd tell you good luck. That's something only God can do for us. That's a spiritual heavenly blessing. And you think about that. A perfectly holy God who requires holiness and perfection. He's the one who will accept nothing less than perfection. It's got to be perfect to be accepted. Got to be without spot. Got to be without blemish. It's got to be perfect. I've used this illustration many times. A young child is born... We look at that precious little thing. See, I'm see, I'm just by habit to call them precious. We go, they're just perfect. No, they're not. No, they're not. And in time, it'll it'll reveal itself that they're not. God is the one we've offended. God is the one that we must appease. How are we made holy and without blame? In love, it says. Well, see, there you go, preacher. It's, it does. God is a God of love. Yes, He is. But He loves His Son. And we're blessed in Him. We're found in the One whom God loves. All my life, the preacher told me that God loved me. Does God love sinners apart from His Son? How could God love the unlovable? I heard someone say one time, you know, I want to love that fella, but he's just unlovable. How do you love somebody that's unlovable? Well, in our case, with God, He loves Christ, and if we're in Christ, then He loves us. It's called substitution. Christ is God's elect, and we are electing Him. We just looked at that a couple weeks ago. God points to His Son. He said, mine elect. He's mine elect. We're electing Him because we're chosen in Him, right? He chose to love us before we were born. We love Him because He first loved us. So in verse 5, we see the second spiritual blessing. God predestinated us well, that's a, that's a glorious word. Listen, don't hate that word. It's a glorious word. God predetermined. God determined beforehand. God decided in purpose before the world was ever framed. Before He ever spoke it into existence. Before the chosen sinner had done any good or any evil. To adopt us. Make us His children. By Jesus Christ, it says. And look at how the Holy Spirit records it. He adopted us by Jesus Christ to Himself. The only way I'll ever get to God is through Jesus Christ. He became my Father. I became His child by divine adoption. Not because of anything good in me. Not because of anything good I did. No, before we were ever born, before we'd ever done anything, 
Why did He adopt them? Verse 5 tells us, according to the good pleasure of His will. Well, what about my will? (laughs) The Scripture says when Pilate stood that day before the Jews and said, it's a custom, I can let Barabbas go, or I can let Jesus go. And they said, Barabbas, that's our boat. That's What about this Jesus? Crucify Him! And then the Scripture says, Pilate delivered them unto their will. Now if you want to see something about your quote free will, there it is. If you could get your hands around God's neck, you'd kill Him if you could, but you can't. God does what He wants to, and what God wants to do, God does. That's what David said. He said, our God's in the heavens, and He's done whatsoever He is pleased. God's not limited. He can do anything. He can do everything. Whatsoever the Lord pleased, that did He! In heaven and earth and in the seas and all deep places. Psalm 135.6 Look at verse 6. It's according to the praise and the glory of His grace, wherein... Now, you know what that word means? It means because He wanted to. Because He willed and purposed to. Wherein... He hath made us His people. Who's He writing to? Saints, the faithful in Christ Jesus. He hath made us accepted in the Beloved, the Lord Jesus Christ. See how saturated this is with Him? It's all about Him. The unacceptable has been accepted. Do you know what the word accepted means? It means to be made valid and correct. God validated me. God corrected me. I was on my on the road to hell as fast as I could go, and God stopped me in my tracks. He validated me. He corrected me. He fixed me. And he fixed me perfectly. How marvelous is it that we who are unacceptable and unworthy, and all of us are, are made to be worthy and accepted. And this is the most amazing thing. Only the unacceptable are made acceptable. Right? Only the unholy are made holy. How are they made so? Only in Jesus Christ, God's beloved Son, in the Beloved. Those who are well, righteous, acceptable in their own eyes have no need of Christ. The Lord said that. They have no need of the great physician to make them acceptable. But let me tell you who does need a physician. One that's sick. One that's diseased heavy laden with sin. Oh, got to have Him. Got to have the great physician. He's the only one that can heal me. He's the only one that can help me. 
We talk about holistic doctors. There's one. He can make me whole. <laughs> My message to you this morning, it's a simple one. These spiritual blessings are simple. God did for me what I can't do for myself. We like that uh, definition, don't we, Shelley? God did for me what I can do for myself. And yet as simple as they are, they're impossible to see and believe without a divine revelation from God. The Apostle Paul told the church at Corinth, he said, but I fear lest by any means as the serpent beguiled Eve through his subtlety, his skillful ability to deceive. That's what that means, subtlety. So your mind should be corrupted, infected, contaminated from the simplicity that's in Christ. There's simplicity in Christ. This message is a simple message. Simplicity means the quality of being easy to understand. You, you said several times this morning, this is easy to understand, but impossible to believe. That's what it is. Salvation is not hard to understand. God requires perfection. We cannot provide what God requires. Nothing too hard to understand about that. Christ provided for us what we cannot provide. Is that hard to understand? The simplicity is in Christ Jesus. But it's impossible to believe until God gives us life. And this is what sin has done to all of us. Our first parents lived in a garden of delight. I've often tried to think what the Garden of Eden must have been like. God created everything that man needed and then He put man in that garden. There wasn't anything for man to do. Just rest. Enjoy. Leave one tree alone and the rest of it's yours. I want that tree. I want that fruit. I want to be my own God. I want to do what I want to do. How'd that work out for you? Sin entered Eden's garden and every leaf withered. Every flower died. And man was driven out of the garden and to till the ground that brought nothing forth but thorns and thistles in abundance. You know, we look in this world around us and there's just so much... It's just a mess, isn't it? Sin's the cause of it. Sin's the cause of this world's condition. There's no doubt that sin is a great thing. Sin is a great thing in a bad way. There's only one way this sin can be removed from us, and that's in Christ and through His blood. Christ must die the just for the unjust to what? Bring us to God. I want to be brought to God. How am I going to be? Only one way. The one who is just died for the unjust. That's our message. That's the gospel. That's the good news. 
So for our consideration concerning these things, verse 7 would be our text, I suppose. And I want to show you just a few things here and I'll finish. In whom? You see that? Salvation is in whom? <laughs> it's not in what. It's not in how. It's in whom? In whom? Jesus Christ. We have redemption <laughs> through His blood. The forgiveness of sins according to the riches of His grace. Now there's the Gospel right there in a verse. May we always remember what it cost God for Him to forgive us. May we always remember the price that our Lord paid to remove and pardon us from sin. What are the wages of sin? You know the answer. Death. Eternal condemnation. Eternal because apart from Christ, our sin can never be paid in full. Not by us. Our eternal condemnation cannot pay for one sin. If God sent me to hell for eternity, and that's what it will be, it wouldn't pay for one sin, much less the multitude that we've all committed. So the first thing we see is that it takes a great grace to pardon our great sin. The forgiveness of sin. What a wondrous thing. It's only in the Lord Jesus Christ. It's only in the shedding of His blood. That's what this verse tells us. It's only according to the riches of God's grace. Our forgiveness is great because our sin is great. Dear sinner, look to Gethsemane and see what it cost our Lord to bear our great sin there. It says, as it were, He sweat great drops of blood. Follow our Lord to Pilate's hall and hear the hateful and cruel thoughts that fell upon His sin-atoning head and shoulders. See His own nation choose a notorious criminal like Barabbas over the perfect Son of God. And I've heard men foolishly say things like, well, if I'd have been there on that day, I would have stopped it. No, you wouldn't have. No, you would not have. You'd have been crying with everyone else at the top of your lungs. Crucify Him. Release unto us Barabbas. He's a murderer. I heard all my life, misery loves company. I guess that's what they did. They love Barabbas because he's just like them. They just like him. See them beat our Lord and Savior till he was unrecognizable as a man. His visage was marred more than any other man. He didn't even look like a man when they got done with him. They, they shoved a crown of thorns down on his head as the blood ran into his eyes and into his mouth. See them mockingly worship him as King of the Jews. Hail, King of the Jews. They'd hit him and then go, well, you're a prophet. Tell us who hit you. 
See the soldiers take him away. See them nail him to the cross. See them him as he hangs there between heaven and hell, or excuse me, heaven and earth, both which he himself created. Child of God, it was by his stripes that you were healed. But here's what most can't see. They cannot see him suffering that they what what they themselves should have suffered. We don't see that. Not unless God gives us sight. They can't see him forsaken of his father because they should have been forsaken and he is in their dying in their room instead. How great is our sin? Ah, it took the sacrifice of God Himself to put it away. That's great. That's great. Is it nothing to you, all you to pass by? Behold and see if there any sorrow, be any sorrow like unto my sorrow, which is done unto me. Wherewith the Lord hath afflicted me in the day of His anger. Who's doing all this to Him? His own Father. And why is He doing it to Him? Because my sin was found upon Him and your sin was found upon Him. All the forgiveness of sin is a great thing. And your age matters not. 20, 30, 40, 50, 60, 70, 80. Matters not how old you are. Some are in your 90s. You must believe and trust in Christ. No different for the young or the old. And you're commanded to do so. John the Beloved wrote, These things have I written unto you that you believe on the name of the Son of God, that you may know that you have eternal life, and that you may believe on the name of the Son of God. Now, we touched on that a moment ago, but what is it to believe on the name of the Son of God? Well, the Lord's name has everything to do with His attributes. It's at the name of Jesus that every knee shall bow and every tongue shall confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. Things in, things in heaven, things in earth, and things under the earth. Every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Amen. Jehovah Nisi, He's Christ. He's my only refuge. Jehovah Jireh, He provides everything for me. Jehovah Rapha, He's the Lord, my helper. Jehovah Shalom, Christ is my peace with God. There's peace nowhere else. Jehovah Ra, the Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. Jehovah Tzidkanu, He's my righteousness before God. Jehovah Shema, the Lord is there. He's with me. He's my presence before God Almighty. When God looks at me, He sees Him. We can't measure the greatness of... of, uh, We can measure the greatness, I should say, of forgiveness by the guilt of the sin forgiven. He'll forgive the greatest and the blackest sin. People say, brother, you don't know what I've done. I know, but God does. And He'll forget the greatest and the blackest sin you ever committed. It's the blood of Jesus that cleanses us from all sin in whom we have redemption through His blood. 
Martin Luther once said, Christ isn't a sham Savior for sham sinners. <laughs> He's a real Savior who provides real atonement for real sinners who have real sin. None of us can say that we're too guilty to be forgiven. It's in Christ alone that we have redemption and forgiveness. You know, I was surprised at Webster's Dictionary's definition for the word redemption. It's defined as the action of being saved from sin. The action of regaining possession of something in exchange for payment or clearing of a debt. The action of buying one's freedom and synonyms are absolution and recovery and rescue and discharge and conversion and satisfaction and accomplishment. Christ is all those things to us. Christ paid it all. All to Him I owe. Sin had left a crimson stain. He washed it white as snow. The greatness of God's forgiveness can be seen and judged by the freeness of it. When a sinner comes to Christ for pardon, they're not asked to pay anything for it. I've often said, what kind of gift would it be? Somebody hands you something and said, this is a gift, and then go, and then stand there looking at you like, okay, that cost me $20. That wouldn't be much a gift, would it? It's free. It's free. It's without money and without price. If you go to the store, the only way that you can get something without money is to charge it. And all my sin has been charged. My pardon has been charged to Christ's account. You charge something, 30 days you got to pay for it. Or you're going to be charged more. <laughs> but He paid it in full. I owe a debt I couldn't pay. He paid a debt He did not owe. That's free. There's nothing free in this world but that. The greatness of forgiveness is also immediate. God will forgive your sin at once. The moment you trust in Christ, you're forgiven. There's no 30-day grace period, no waiting. You're, you're, everything's good immediately. The father saw the prodigal son afar off. His forgiveness was immediate. As soon as he saw him, he took off running. Did he forgive him when he got to him? No. He forgave him before he took off to him. <laughs> or he would have never taken off running. That's the only time in the Scripture that we have a picture of God our Father running. Only the one and only time in all the Bible that we find our Lord getting in a hurry to do anything. When it comes to forgiveness, He runs to give it. <laughs> Boy, that, that makes me happy. What did that Father say? He said, for this my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. And he said it immediately. He didn't wait for his... I mean, his son did confess his sin and his son did confess his sorrow. But the forgiveness was already in his heart. I have redemption right now. 
I have forgiveness right now. Now are we the sons of God. There is therefore now no condemnation. The greatness of God's forgiveness can be measured by the completeness of it. I love that verse in Jeremiah 50, verse 20. In those days and in that time, saith the Lord, the iniquity of Israel shall be sought for, and there shall be none. God looked for it, and it's not there. And the sins of Judah, and they shall not be found. For I will pardon them whom I reserve. That word reserve means kept, set aside, preserved. There's no condemnation to those whom God has reserved. Why? Because there's no sin found to condemn them. There shall be none, he said. They shall not be found. You can't find something that's not there. When God pardons a sinner, they're forever pardoned, never to be condemned again. Oh, you believe in one saved, always saved. Yes, I do. When God saves you, I believe it. Well, what if they don't live right? They've never lived right. Yet in Christ, they've always lived right. If I can be saved by what I do, then I can be saved by what I don't do. But if I'm saved by what Christ has done, then I can never be lost. All is done. All is accomplished. All is finished. And it's in whom? In Christ. that an elect sinner has redemption. And it's through the washing of sin by His precious blood. And that precious blood is given by the riches of His grace. How do I know it's complete forever and unchanging? Because He Himself is complete forever and unchanging. And it's found in Him. That's what our Lord said, For I am the Lord, I change not, therefore ye sons of Jacob are not consumed. In whom we have redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of sins, how? According to the riches of His grace. And His grace never changes. It's called amazing grace because it's unchanging grace. It's called marvelous grace because His grace is forever. And that's why it's called the riches of His grace. Our thoughts of God grace are just too, too little and too narrow. We thank God to be all together as we are. But He told us differently. He said, My thoughts are not your thoughts. Neither my ways your ways. As the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways. And friends, you can bring God mountains of gold and silver and they're, they're no worth to Him. And you can bring to God the tears of rivers. It wouldn't amount to nothing. Forgiveness comes by the riches of God's free grace alone. God forgives because He chooses to forgive. The riches of His grace hints to His royalty. He never concerns Himself, nor should we, that there's enough grace to go around because God is rich in grace. And again, like the prodigal in closing, it's harder to come home to the Father than it is to be received of the Father. It's harder to ask for grace than it is for God to give it. I'm confident of these things. Christ is worthy of our confidence, is He not? 
when the child of God stands before God on the day of judgment, there won't be one sin left for Him to judge. And the Spirit and the bride say, Come, and let him that heareth say, Come, and let him that is a thirst come. Are you thirsty? And whosoever will, let him take the water of life freely. May God be pleased to make it so for Christ's sake.